This episode was created during the 2023 WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes. Without the labor of the writers and actors currently on strike, the movie being covered here wouldn't exist. From the silver screen to the GM screen, Never Say Die asks, what can we learn from movies to enhance our role-playing game experience? This season, we've been all about Kids on Bikes movies, where kids 18 years of age or younger get themselves into and out of trouble and keep their agency while doing so, usually in a specific location, which is essential to the plot. I'm Rafe Telsch, film critic. And I'm Drew Meyer, gaming enthusiast. And today, with some of us against our will, we're having a special episode. See, we have finished our regular season of Kids on Bikes movies, but before we are done, we felt the need to return one more time to talk about 1982's E.T. the Extraterrestrial, written by Melissa Matheson and directed by Steven Spielberg, and starring Dee Wallace, Henry Thomas, Peter Coyote, Robert McNaughton, and Drew Barrymore, among others. Now, this is a special episode. We will not be gamifying the movie. It may not even be our regular kind of movie discussion about the movie. But we felt the need to talk about this one because it it is a part of the Kids on Bikes legacy. Uh, We also will not be picking any of the characters for next episode's final draft. So we're going to talk about the movie, and instead of moving into the gamification standpoint like we normally do, we will talk a little bit about movies that didn't quite make the cut for our Kids on Bikes season. Movies we may have wanted to get to but just didn't, or movies that we may have wanted to talk about but saw a reason not to. Now, this conversation will contain spoilers, so you have been warned if you haven't seen 1982's E.T. The Extraterrestrial. But first... Before we get into this, this is a podcast about movies and about games, so we like to talk about movies, games, and podcasts that have caught our attention lately. Drew, tell me about a movie that you have watched lately that you'd like to bring to our listeners' attention. I have seen nothing new since the last time that we spoke, which is impressive considering the attention that things like Oppenheimer and Barbie are getting in theaters, but I have watched several movies, but it's all been things that I've... uh, Rewatched kind of classics. Uh, our friend Eric Malinsky from the Imaginary Worlds podcast uh, has invited me on to discuss a unsung gem. I and I they wanted me to talk about a movie that just didn't get the kind of attention I think it deserves, and so I rewatched Disney's John Carter. Um, oh, I love that movie. I love. I well, we think we just talked love. about that. I think I don't know if it was on the mic or not, but I know we just talked about that one. Yeah, yeah, I think we were we were uh when we were testing the draft parameters. <laughs> That's right. That's right. For our fake superhero draft, which I'm now kind of wishing we had recorded uh, and launched for I don't know, like a just a special special. Yeah. Um we did briefly mention it. Um I had just watched it. And it's I think it's just a wonderful film. I really do. It's this um the John Carter franchise, the Edgar Rice Burroughs, something that I I've, I've loved since I was a kid when my father used to read those stories to me. Um, I think the the film is quite good. I understand the, all the arguments against it. I completely every single one of them. I get that people feel it's derivative because in the hundred years that it's since it's been out, everybody has stolen from it, and right. watching it feels like it's stolen from everybody else. And that's of course not the case. But yeah, I love it. I think it's really good. 
I'm on the opposite side there where I had not read any Edgar Rice Burroughs and uh, Mm. watching the movie inspired me to read at least one of his John Carter novels, which I really enjoyed and was like, wow, where has this been all my, oh, on the shelf where I haven't been paying attention to it. So talk about a master (laughs) of the cliffhanger, serialized storytelling. Just so good. Uh, I, I highly recommend pretty much almost everything that uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote about the John Carter series. I know the Tarzan stuff uh, has its issues. Of so, um, right. I mean, both of them are white savior stories. I get that. But considering that Disney almost made John Carter before they, the Princess of Mars before they made Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, and at one point in time, it, I think it can be argued that uh, folks reading John Carter went, hmm, wow, because of a different atmosphere, he can leap tall buildings in a single bound. I wonder where we can get some ideas about that. Anyway, that is uh, for a discussion. How about you? Have you watched anything that you would recommend to myself or the audience? I, um, man, I, I'm going to recommend staying away from something to the audience. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know I am a huge fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm a big Marvel person. And uh, Secret Invasion is the latest thing to hit from the MCU, six-episode miniseries on Disney+, and it's awful. It is it is so bad, and it was made even worse by the fact that last this past weekend I revisited uh, The Winter Soldier, because I'm showing my girlfriend movies of the MCU, we're slowly making our way through, and we've gotten to The Winter Soldier, and... That movie is exactly the tone that Secret Invasion should have been going for, but totally missed. It just ends up being a travesty. So watch Winter Soldier. Don't watch Secret Invasion. Look for some two or three minute summary of what the important events were. I, it's like my son watched the first episode with me and then lost interest. And when it was over, I went, yeah, you didn't need to watch it. Here's what you missed. <laughs> I watched the opening, was mildly intrigued, and then the credits started, and I realized it had clearly entirely done by AI, and I just went, nah. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to support that at, at, at this point in time. Um, I may revisit the series, but... I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. Okay. So, yeah, no. Um, no, I have not had a whole lot of time for movies myself. I've uh, been in the middle of a lot of stuff with life going on, so... Sure. Uh, so how about role-playing games? Anything on that front that you can talk about? Not necessarily that you <laughs> want to talk about, because we have something going that we can't talk about. We should. We, that's that's all we can say. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah. anything you want to talk about? A couple of things. Um, first, I want to give a congratulations to all the winners and nominees for the 2023 Gen Con uh, yeah. awards for the, the Ennies. Um, it was really fun, even though I, wasn't, I, I could go. Um, next year, next year I'm doing it. It's been um, on my bucket list. I've never been to a Gen Con. Uh, I, I did mention that to my girlfriend right before it happened. And she's like, well, maybe we should look at next year. So, yeah, well, if you go, I'm going, it was really nice to just kind of like see all the winners. Um, and it, just like I mentioned last time, it made me want to learn a little bit more about the games that were nominated if I didn't know about them. So that's really excellent. Um, this weekend, I ran a game for the teenagers at my local library. I did so in a session inspired by Mad Max Fury Road, Ooh. Uh, which was really fun. We kind of were having a conversation about it fairly recently. I thought, maybe I'll do that for January. And uh, I decided to just do it, and I did it. Uh, and it got me a chance to use this 30-foot-long gridded map that I got from Yarrow Studios that I, I'd, I'd never used and had always wanted to do so. It's a 30-foot-long dry erase map, but I just use it as a, a stretch. And I'm like, here's your goal is to get from here to here, uh, and they're going to try to stop you. And I 
Um, didn't use miniatures. I just went online and found some cool, you know, kind of punky looking battle wagons and uh, printed them out and folded the piece of paper like just a little tent. Nice. And, uh, no, I like that. And it was very simple. And uh, again, my teenagers just refuse to play Dungeons and Dragons the way Dungeons and Dragons wants to be played, which makes me so incredibly happy. Because math didn't play into any of this. I'd come up with rules for vehicles and all sorts of turning mechanisms. And, all, and they just kept on coming up with wonderful create. I mean, listen, any game is is made better with the use of a movable rod. Um, and it just <laughs> the way they solved it is was pretty spectacular. So, yeah. Now, that was, I mean, that's that's it as far as my personal experience. How about you? Do you get a chance to, you've been really busy. I know you've been yeah. really busy. Have you gotten a chance to play anything? No, I, I've other than the little, uh, only a little bit, even towards the little project that we 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 have, uh, I I've not been able to do anything. My my group is supposed to play this coming weekend for the first time in two months, uh, and even that, I'm like I've had two extra months to prep, and I'm like, hey, um, are we going to actually play? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, unfortunately, uh, no, I haven't gotten to touch any. RPG stuff. Uh, what about po- on the podcast front? Anything you want to talk about that's caught your fancy? I mean, again, when the Imaginary Worlds episode on Unsung Gems comes out, um, you know, listen to me defend uh, John Carter. I also defend the Thirteenth Warrior uh, mm. from 1999, which is a film I, I quite like. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't have gone onto a podcast to defend it. Other than that, uh, I have just been listening to a lot of Lidology and um, TTRPG Kids podcasts. I think that's been pretty exclusive. Uh, listening since the last time I recorded. How about you, anything? I have not gotten to check out. The first episode dropped prior to us recording this, and I haven't gotten to watch it yet. But since we last recorded, we found out about Dimension 20's uh, new season, which features Hank Green as one of the players, which excited both of us. And then we found out that our our good friends behind the Kids on Bikes game added some mechanics. Yeah, Yeah, John and Doug helped out in a way that we don't know about. Like, that's all... Uh, Doug has said is that we helped them with some mechanics and he, he hasn't spoiled anything and again I haven't gotten to watch the episode yet but it's it's highly on my radar to watch that I guess that's not really a podcast but it'll, it'll qualify for our purposes sure and and to go along with that I have had several people um, message me going have you watched Mentopolis uh, they are playing kids on bikes and I was right. like, well, they're playing a version of that system. Yes. The pedal powered or powered by the uh, kids on bikes. So, yeah, it's it's definitely one that I'm going to a Doctor Who convention at the time of recording. I'll be going this way for the weekend. So uh, I didn't want to go ahead and get it because I wouldn't be able to watch it. Uh, but I definitely Dimension 20 because of John and Doug's inclusion in the behind the scenes. I definitely want to pick that. I've been wanting to pick it up for a year. Oh, so. oh yeah. Well, and like, I want to know the thing I love about the trailer for it is it not only is getting you into the characters and the basic concept, but then there are so many things that are unanswered. Like what's with the rails and the marbles going along them and the disc mm-hmm. in the middle of the screen. And uh, Hank did put up a video on his, his secondary channel, just, just the, the, just Hank green stuff where he talked about, not being able to talk about it, but one of his disappointments in playing it was they didn't use minis because the table is taken up by that dial and the marbles and all that kind of stuff. They didn't use minis, so he didn't get to leave uh, his session with a mini as a memento. He he did oh, come away with gotcha. something else, and he showed it very briefly, and then but then was like, I can't explain what this is because that's a spoiler. So it's like I, even more intrigued in seeing what what is going on with this. 
that sounds really cool. No, I'm I'm excited. I, I like it when creative people do creative things creatively. All right. Well, let's get into the movie a little bit as much as you're no, trying no, to no, put it off. No, no, no. Let's talk about <clears throat> other things. Drew, why didn't you want to watch this movie? Um, if, if audiences haven't picked it up with the a thousand mentions that I've had in previous episodes, um, when I watched this film in 1982, it terrified me um, to the point where I had nightmares for months. And even to this day, there is just something about being in a room and looking outside of a window and seeing pitch darkness. When I was a kid, I would see E.T.'s screaming face from the scene in the cornfield. And this made me not want to be alone in rooms for a, a, a good chunk of my early childhood. And it I still get nightmares based off of E.T. So uh, I watched it again when I was it, when it came out in 1988 uh, for the VHS. They finally, you know, many years later, they released it. I know I watched it then. It probably did not scare me nearly as much because, you know, at the time I was 11. But... Yeah, I mean, you know, it's we don't generally like to revisit trauma, even though that's what horror films are sort of about, is kind of doling out trauma in small doses. I do consider this a horror... I did consider this a horror film uh, to me, because, you know, the, the mere thought of it and the image of E.T. causes me to be greatly disturbed. We will get into what I thought about it as, as someone in their, you know, mid to late 40s. Um, Rafe, why didn't you want to watch this film? <laughs> I, I wanted to watch it. The reason it never made my cut as far as picks, uh, we started with the Goonies, and then we, mid-range of our run, we ran into a couple of episodes where our criticism was there wasn't enough kids, plural, in our Kids on Bikes movie, and uh, I realized as we were getting towards the end of the season, I wanted to really focus on movies with multiple characters. And and this movie does have multiple characters. We'll talk a little bit about that in a couple of minutes as well. But I, I specifically uh, didn't pick it for the podcast because it is, in my mind, mostly a kid on bikes movie, even though there is, you know, multiple kids on the bikes in the big bike scene. Uh, it's mostly Elliot's movie. And I, I felt like that was doing a disservice to like our draft and certain elements. Now, that said, astute listeners may have picked up an episode or two ago where I kind of threw in that I also had nightmares about E.T. I was talking about things that gave me nightmares as a kid. I think when we were talking about the gate, uh, I mentioned that I had nightmares about Statler and Waldorf, and that became our primary focus. But I did mention in there that also E.T. gave me nightmares. And for me, uh, it wasn't even as far as the screaming face in the cornfield. It was the opening scene of the movie. Because at that point, especially in 1982, when I saw this in the theater, you had no idea what was going on. You had no context. You saw a ship. You saw little figures. You saw guys with flashlights. And you saw rustling around in the leaves. And it scared the hell out of me that I didn't know what was going on. And I loved the movie. Like, I walked away from the movie just absolutely in love with it. But that did not stop me at night from being terrified because I didn't know what was going on in that one scene. Also, something that I never would have thought of because, you know, I wasn't old enough to understand what movie scores were. The score for the first act of E.T. preps it to be a horror film. Oh, sure. Um, like, uh, there's everything is menacing. The score is pretty dark. Uh, there's a lot of being alone in the darkness, not knowing what's going on with a single source of light. Uh, neither the aliens nor the the government agents, we see their faces. And that's right. terrifying. I mean, that's a that's a real issue for young children. Exactly, uh, as it general. was for me at the time. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. So, with that, with your comment in mind, as I was watching, I was like, yeah, yeah, I get it. 
I, yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, we always start with the elevator pitch, which is a simplified version of the media's plot. Drew, do you want to do uh, an elevator pitch on this? I mean, do you trust me to do it in a way that isn't sarcastic and downplays the, the No, but I'm importance? asking you anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. Alien botanists land on Earth. One of them gets left behind accidentally. Um, and is found by a child. They share a psychic link and get to learn more about each other and themselves. Uh, and then the government comes and ruins everything. Uh, and then the 80s happen. So, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of 80s in this film. There's there, a lot there of 80s is. in this well, film. Well, 1982, what do you want? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, it's even more 80s when you take in the big picture of the phenomenon that was E.T. Because, like, yeah, yeah the, the movie didn't come out on VHS until 1988, but what did come out in the interim there was a storybook version of this read by Michael Jackson. And if right. you got, if you got, which we did, we got, I think it was a mail order thing. It came with, it had the, the, the tape or record. I think it was a tape that had him reading the story. It had a song by him and it had a storybook that went along with it that had pictures from the movie and it had a poster of Michael Jackson and E.T. And damn, you don't get more 80s than that. <laughs> it's true. Uh, we should also say that E.T. ran for over a year. Yeah, It was in theaters for over a year, and everyone tried to copy this, uh, which I think in many ways, you know, we, the argument was made that, that E.T. is probably the beginning of the kids on bike genre, and I, I don't necessarily think I would agree with that. It's certainly the attempt to make films as that are similar in theme to be as profitable as E.T., was what the, the kids on bikes genre sprung from. I mean, it's definitely the seed from which the kids on bikes came from. I don't know if I would necessarily uh, call this one a kids on bikes film, but it certainly was popular. I did not have the poster on my wall. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, it, it, it was so popular. As you said, it was in the theaters over a year. It was so popular that it is one of the only movies that I can think of. I can think of maybe two other movies, maybe three movies in my lifetime that everybody saw. Mm-hmm. That there, you, you, it was a rarity to find somebody alive in that time period who had not seen the movie, even though it didn't come out on VHS until 1988. Back to the Future is that another one? I feel like that was one that everyone talk, was talking about. I, I, yeah, I, I probably would give you that one as well. It wasn't what I was thinking. I was thinking of Titanic because Titanic was also in theaters for a really extended run, and like That's everybody true, seemed yeah. to have seen that one. Independence Day, a Man. lot of people went and saw. Sure, um, sure, sure. But, but yeah, I mean, it, everybody had seen E.T. because it was in the theater for so long. So, mm-hmm. all right, Drew, why did we pick this movie besides wanting to torture you? Well, we picked this movie mainly because of things that you've already mentioned. Um, the first off, in, in one of our first episodes, actually, even before our first episodes, uh, when on your podcast, right? So I, I have not seen this. You did a an announcement many months before our very first Never Say Die episode came out in which you were discussing kids on bikes films and you had mentioned that The Goonies was kind of the er film for that. Someone corrected you and said that E.T. was. And you and I had a conversation about that, that that would probably be something that maybe we should start talking about, start with E.T. in our discussion. Uh, I told you that I was never going to select this film um, as <laughs> as my choice. Just a little behind the scenes there. 
But it is something that, you know, after we finished our, our 12th film and E.T. was not selected, it is a part of the conversation, should have been part of the conversation. We don't know if we're ever going to return to the kids on bike genre on this program after our, our final episode, which is going to be the next one. So it does feel like this is something that needs to be discussed. Uh, yeah. And it was really about time for me to revisit it. I, you know, I'm an adult. I, I can, I can handle a little horror. Uh, and it maybe, maybe revisiting it was just the thing I needed to get it out of my mind. Yeah. So is this a kids on bikes movie? I mean, my argument is it is mostly a kid on bike. Yes, you have the bike scene, the race scene with like the the four other kids. Um, but do you think this is a kids on bikes movie? Should we have started with this movie? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think Goonies was definitely the way to go I agree. Um, with this one. I think you're right. I think this is this is in in many ways it's almost sort of like a reverse Super 8 where Super 8 starts off as a really great kids on bikes film and then becomes just the focus of one. We have this is mainly Elliot's and then in the last few minutes we have that kids on racing uh through the sub- right. developed suburbia yeah no it's it's not a kids on bikes film um it has a lot of the hallmarks of the things that we love you know it it has suburbia which is really great you know it feels a kind of a small town in in, in such a way we have a superpowered character we have kids on bikes um they have quite a bit of agency it really you know it does that spielberg thing where it's a divorced mom so it's a single parent trying to raise kids and she's leaves them at home quite a bit of the time you know uh, home alone with an alien none um, of which was on my radar before this viewing right right and in viewing <laughs> it as an adult it's, a, it's very different kind it of thing. is i mean like i think i think had we not done films like frog dreaming or stand by me this would be worth slotting into that position to discuss sort of discuss kids on bikes by discussing what is not a kids on bikes film or what is adjacent to a kids on bikes film. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I would definitely argue this is more of a kid venture. I mean, you know, the, this iconic image of ET and Elliot on their bike in, with the moon in the background, which if I had asked you before the second viewing, what color was um, Elliot's sweatshirt? What would you have said in that scene? Red. Right. But it's not. That scene happens when he is wearing his hunchback costume uh, right, on Halloween. Gray. Yeah, that's right. It's red at the end of the movie. My mind. Mm-hmm. That's right. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, I had a, a wind-up toy that was Elliot on the bike with ET in the basket, and it was the red. So that's in my head. Of it's always it been a red red sweatshirt. Yeah. Yeah. Red hooded sweatshirt. No. All right. Well, <laughs> let's let's get into well, and we already talked about we uh, saw it for the first time in theaters. Yeah. yeah. And then and then for me. I saw it for the first time in theaters. I know I saw it when the VHS came out. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I think is is funny is I had the 2012 anniversary edition of this on DVD Blu-ray on my shelf, unopened. And I even sent you a message when I finally opened it to watch it the other night that it had a digital version of the film, a code for the digital version of the film, and the code still worked. <laughs> That's amazing. Now, let me ask you this. I have never seen the version of this film where the all the guns have been replaced by walkie-talkies. Is the version of the film that you got from – was that uh, the replacement? No. So here's the deal. Spielberg – creates a an alternate version. He pulls a Lucas and he creates an alternate version of this film. He uses computer effects to enhance E.T.'s face. Uh, the screaming in the cornfield is freaking 
terrifying with the CG face at this point. Uh, he helps the mouth echo the words a little bit better, especially where E.T. phone home. He removes the guns because he doesn't like the idea with guns with kids nearby, so he replaces them with radios. And by 2012, he realizes that that is uh, doing his audience a disservice, that essentially what he has tried to do is erase people's memory of this film and this is such a treasured film and a treasured theatrical experience for so many people he realizes that was the wrong move that yes maybe steven spielberg in 2008 is not comfortable with guns around kids but that's the film he shot and so he he removes that edit from the market that's the hard version of the film to find now so when the anniversary edition is put out on blu-ray in 2012 it is the original edit of the film back again well, I have the original version on the Blu-ray that I, I watched. When we first decided that we were going to do this podcast, I went out and picked up a, a whole bunch of Kids on Bikes movies to, to watch, and that included this one. And I didn't know what I was going to get when I yeah. I'd heard about it. So when it, I, was, I was looking for the walkie-talkies, and I don't want to say I was happy to see the guns, um, because like Spielberg, I too do not like guns around children. But, right. um yeah, and I was the same boat. Like, I wasn't sure yeah. which version I was going to be watching, and I, I did that research after the fact and found out, oh, that version doesn't really exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. So the film sits at 99% on Rotten Tomatoes, Drew. This is a much-beloved, much-cherished yeah, film. Sure. It does have an audience score of 72%, so curmudgeons like you have had your effect mm -hmm. on the film's rating. Rightfully so, I think. Uh, but there is a <laughs> lot of good in this movie, Drew. There's a oh my lot of good in this film. I didn't even take notes because I didn't know how in-depth we were going to go with our discussion sure. on this. But for me, it just the beauty of the practical effects of 1982. Are there a few dodgy composite shots? Yeah, absolutely. But that's true. I mean, heck, we said that about The Gate and we praised that movie for effects. But E.T. is still just this wonderful creation uh, full of heart and joy and beauty. And like, I remember E.T.'s chest lighting up and I didn't realize that was such a small part of the movie because it's only like, that's a call between the alien, his, his people. Like, it's not just that his heart just constantly beats red. It's like, that's a call. But I love, it doesn't look stupid. His finger, I mean, it just, he looks amazing. The way he waddles around and I especially love the scene where he's waddling around and mom is home and he's not attempting to duck her, but he keeps inadvertently ducking her and like he gets hit by the the fridge door and stuff. I just he he's amazing as a as a theatrical creation. And nowadays they would try and do that with all CG, and that would be a mistake. That that's that's one of the, the best things about this film is as a because it is a product of its time, it is a better movie. I think this is a masterpiece. Uh, I, I, I watched this film and I was blown away by the directorial choices. You could tell that Spielberg is a master. Any, any, almost any film uh, of his, you can, you can watch and just see that there's a genius behind the camera. But this film in particular is so well done. The opening sequence where, and I mentioned this before, the mysterious government agents who are all dressed in, you know, casual clothing. And I think that's even more disturbing. It's it's the shorthand of putting them in suits with short hair and, you know, earpieces. Mm -hmm. No, put them in civilian clothing. And they, they could have been frat guys just out for a drive that decided to torment something that they saw in the woods. 
they're menacing as all get out. The fact that they're backlit for the first two acts of this film are, are amazing. The the dark van slowly panning the suburban houses and getting the snippets of conversations in everyone's homes. Brilliant. Uh, the the menace that the score gives um, until Elliot and E.T. actually share that connection and then the score changes completely as if it was a different film is brilliant. The acting by everyone involved is brilliant. Now, I know that this film was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture, uh, and I know it lost to Gandhi. Honestly, Henry Thomas should have gotten a nomination for Best Actor. Agreed. Uh, The things that that kid is doing throughout this film is mind-boggling. I don't think this film succeeds without Henry Thomas believing in the actual creature. Have I seen the audition tape? Yes. Yes. (laughs) The, uh, The audition tape where Henry Thomas does it does it again, and then Spielberg goes, yeah, you got the part. (laughs) Okay, kid, you got the part, right. (laughs) Yeah, like, it's amazing. It's amazing. And, you know, in the opening scene, where all the kids, all the teenagers are playing Dungeons & Dragons around the table, and we're gonna have to talk about that in just a moment, (laughs) I, honest to God, couldn't remember which one of the kids was Elliot's brother. Uh, I didn't know. I couldn't remember to save my life which one of them. I mean, it was definitely not the one who was trying to pinch Elliot's mom, but um, which is such a teenage thing to do. I actually, I I count that as one of the positives um, because all the kids felt like kids and all the teens felt like teens. So I I didn't know really who that character was going to be. I was just kind of watching out for it. But yeah, it just, I believed Every aspect of every performance, uh, I believe the parents, I believe the adults, I believe the teens, I believe the kids. Well, and I want to tack on to what you're saying with another good thing about the film. Sure. Which was the last time, uh, or the full time that we kind of played Kids on Bikes, where we kind of got through an entire season or adventure or storyline or whatever you want to call it. Um, you you took a, a a different approach to game mastering than I had experienced either myself as a game master or with with other game masters I sat at, which you you played with this very cinematic style of describing mm-hmm. stuff. You'd be like, "Here's the camera," and you know, pans down and that kind of stuff. Listen to this, okay? The black screen becomes a night sky as one by one stars begin to poke through and come to life in the darkness. Pan across the sky, creating the illusion of moving deeper into space. This illusion is shattered with the intrusion of a familiar crescent moon. The moon drops behind a gnarled tree limb, and the limb pulls away to reveal the pointed treetops of a redwood forest. A soft light is visible through the heavy camouflage of trees. The view moves toward this light, up and over the trees, and finally comes to rest on a freak clearing, a barren meadow nestled among the towered trees. It is here that we see the spaceship. This script reads, that's from the shooting script, this script reads like you have opened, and like that got me to thinking, and we're not going to talk about the gamification of this, but I I actually, if I were to run an adventure, if I were to run this as an adventure, not an adventure based on E.T., but if I were to run this as an adventure, you, I would describe the opening scene, even though the players have absolutely no part of it, just to set the stage of, this is what we're going to have. You're going to have aliens, you're going to have government agents of some sort, or shadow threat of some sort, and 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 you're going to be entering into suburbia and that's where you are it sets itself up as 
a kids on bikes adventure in this beautiful cinematic way. And I was sitting watching it going, Drew wishes he could do this at the beginning of an adventure. I guarantee you. <laughs> because you do do it at the beginning of an adventure. Well, yeah. So if, I, if I'm running a session and if there's a way to do a cinematic intro, I, I will almost always do so. Uh, I, I wish I had it in front of me. I'd read you the intro I, I read to the kids for the Fury Road, a, a movie none of my teenagers had seen, by the way. So the the theme and tone of the game, you know, was sort of lost on them. I mean, it, it came out seven years ago, so they were babies. Yeah, uh, it's it's yeah. We're getting old. <laughs> Darn you, time! Why can't you hold still? Um, yeah, but it's true. It's All right, true. this is a masterpiece. You flat out said it, so I don't. I don't yeah, yeah. know that there's a ton of of just individual goods that we should sit here and and spend time discussing because there's there's a lot. I mean, Henry Thomas is brilliant. The music is, yeah. as you said. So, what's bad about it, Drew? I don't think there's anything bad about this film. I have plenty to talk about when we get to ugly. But um, as far as the film is concerned, it, it's maybe I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think. It's a really well thought out script. So what do you think? Maybe maybe you'll inspire me to come up with some bad things. I and maybe you were gonna bring this up in ugly, but the uh D and D game they're playing is that's not how D and D is played. And that's always been a nitpick of mine when, when movies and TV include D and D and it's like like he's rolling and then he takes damage from an like you that doesn't that's not how D and D's played. It would have been somebody else rolling to hit him. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it was another one of those. And again, there's not enough of it that it, it, it damages the movie by any means, but it's, it's on there. Like some people, um, hate how computer hacking is portrayed on screen because it's usually atrocious. Uh, I, I'm kind of that way about D and D like that's, if you're going to put it in, at least be authentic with it. Well, keep in mind that's, that is first edition Dungeons and Dragons. Um, the film was, that scene was probably filmed in 1981, which is, four years uh no seven seven years after Dungeons and Dragons had come out it's gotta be first ed yeah yeah it's first um, edition and and you're talking to someone who homebrews every game that he plays <laughs> so um I will make up rules re- like I'll be like yeah you have a one-page game well let's do lasers and feelings however I want to hack these three rules first there's only two rules well I still want to hack three of them um <laughs> I, I get it I, I understand that. I'm certainly not a computer hacker. Um, uh, I, 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 to this day, I think this is the only, uh, certainly the first film I ever saw that had Dungeons & Dragons placed in it, but certainly this is the most popular film that has ever sure. uh, featured Dungeons & Dragons in it in one form or another, and I include the Dungeons & Dragons movie in that because this is certainly more popular than that. Yeah, I don't, I was watching this going, there's almost nothing bad about yeah. this film. Um, no. Given the limitations for technology, uh, it's still... A, a film in the hands of absolute masters in almost every aspect of it. So Yeah. I, oh, and I, I meant to mention among the good that the other thing about this movie is interesting to watch after Meet the Fablemans. Uh, you haven't seen Meet the Fablemans yet, have you? I haven't, you? no. Okay, there's a scene in there where the character who is, I mean, it's a, it's autobiographical for Spielberg. Sure. So the, the, the main character meets another filmmaker who kind of teaches him this harsh lesson about where you put the horizon. Mm-hmm. And you cannot watch another Spielberg movie after that scene and not pay attention to where Spielberg puts the horizon in his films. And even that mm. was just like, oh, that's why part of why it's interesting. So anyway, all right, Drew, what is ugly besides nightmares? 
What is ugly about this film? Listen, um, I find E.T. absolutely repugnant. I Man. I could appreciate this film on every single level, and I include E.T. in that, but there was absolutely no way I was going to enjoy this experience. I tried. Damn it. I really, I was really, really hoping. did. Um, no, every time that E.T. is in the, in the scene, for the most part, it's cringeworthy. Like, there's, like, my shoulders are, like, up around my ears, and it just, I just, he creeps me out to no end. Now, that's a good thing, right? Because I know that some people truly love him and and find him adorable and cute, and that's great. And I, I know many people like me who are repulsed by him, and to have both of those things in that model really speaks to the level of professionalism that I mean, just it, the, it's almost sort of uncanny valley with, with it. I cannot imagine the horror of the touched up edition. Um, I will never watch that ever, 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 ever. But yeah, that the ugly thing is, and it's my fault. It's what it's my own baggage bringing to it. I could not enjoy this film. I could appreciate it on a technical level. There was absolutely no emotion between me and what was happening on the screen. Yeah. It's, tried, it's a folks. bummer, and that's yeah. It's 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 on me. I like I am speaking glowingly about how this film is crafted, but I will never be able to appreciate it in the way uh, I think it's meant to. In the and I wish I could because you know clearly the world loves this repugnant little blob, but I just ugh, <laughs> I can't take it. How about you? Anything ugly? I didn't have anything ugly about this movie. Yeah. I think it's, no, it's I think it's a brilliant film. I mean, I I, it's I really loved it when I first saw it, even though it gave me nightmares, even though it scared me. I remember just it's because of movies like Star Wars and this that I became such a uh, special effects aficionado that I just I, I just I had to know how these stories were done. And I mean, like you mm-hmm. you look at what I was reading through my teen years and they I I still have them. All sorts of books that were about special effects and talked about how people did this. And like I knew names like John Dykstra and Phil Tippett and you know n- n- pe- there are people going, who are those? Like those are the superstars of special effects. And I knew that because I had to know how movies like this were made. And I just, I I can't find an ugly in it. I still, like, all the nostalgia feels came back when I was watching this. And it wasn't like so many movies that I've watched with nostalgia that it's like, oh, that wasn't as good as I remembered it. This was, this was still good. I still, and John Williams' score is so freaking brilliant. Mm. Yeah, it's really good. It's it's really good. Have you seen a film called Five Twenty Five Seventy Seven? It's by Patrick Reed Johnson. It's about autobiographical about a, a young man who wants to be a filmmaker. Who, like you, read all the books and everything. His mother sends him to Hollywood, and while he's there, he is taken behind the scenes and watched. He gets to watch the dailies of Star Wars. I've not seen it. I, I'm I'm aware of it. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I oh. didn't remember it when you first said it, but as you were describing, it was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's um, a da- uh, the actors um, daily the the guy who wrote the Dungeons and Dragons film and all the Spider Verse films, um, Sweets from from Bones, um, he's in it as as the main character. And I got to see um, Patrick Reed Johnson is a um, was teaching at the Winston Salem School of, of Film and uh, School of the Arts and Film and uh, came in and, and brought an early cut of it many years back. And I, I watched it. It was really it's really good. But there's scenes in that film that 
I always think about when I look at young filmmakers where I read about young filmmakers and what they do and what they did as kids in the same way that you and I both made films as kids and not with the, I certainly not the ones I made with any level of professionalism. <laughs> like I still have them and it's, they're all cringeworthy, but there's still something beautiful about like four or five people getting together on a weekend and, and throwing that together. A couple of things I want to mention that are neither good, bad or ugly. Um, in fact, the opposite of ugly. Um, I want to talk about the pretty girl uh, yes. in, in ET. Uh, that's Erica Eleniak who yes. is probably known by many people uh, from Baywatch, but uh, came to my attention when she was filming a movie in my hometown of Myrtle Beach, right near my house, um, a film called Chasers. It was directed by Dennis Hopper. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, Dennis Hopper, like, I would go to the grocery store and Dennis Hopper would be there with a bunch of people. I didn't know who Dennis Hopper was at the time, other than the bad guy from Waterworld and Super Mario Brothers. Like, I hadn't, like, you I was have, too... You, you couldn't have at least gone with Speed? I don't think I'd seen Speed at that point in time, and I certainly hadn't watched Blue Velvet. Um, it was like two years later, I suddenly went, I have missed the most amazing opportunity. Anyway, Erica Laniac is the, the pretty girl that Elliot kisses during that, that scene where um, E.T. is watching The Quiet Man. Um, but I also wanted to just draw your attention, because you and I have had this conversation before, Erica Laniac is also a victim in the movie, the blob from 1988, the Chuck Russell film. Um, yes. she is the, I, you know, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. If, if you have not watched 1988, the blob, uh, and you want another horror masterpiece, much like ET, I would recommend that one. If you have, and, and if you want to hear Drew spoil it, just go listen to the episode of have not seen this, that he recorded with right. me talking about 1988, the blob, which I had not seen prior to that episode. I should maybe go watch the blob after this. Um, <laughs> the other things I, I want to, to discuss, and this is something that I was afraid was going to um, influence my viewing of this episode, and that's a uh, an episode of Cracks uh, Cracked. It's after hours comedy special about um, the worst aliens that would potentially worst alien invasions, uh, the most dangerous aliens, and of course they argue with the xenomorphs and the predators and and the whatnots, and eventually they settle on ET being. Um, certainly the worst alien species because of all the amazing magical powers. I mean, like, there's there's something magical about E.T., mainly because it can bring things back from the dead and heal wounds and seem to levitate without expending any kind of spell slots and, uh, you know, all of that fun stuff. But... um... See, I take issue with the the way they're playing the game within the movie, and you just gamify the character and take issue with the fact that he doesn't conform to any game rules. Yeah, well, he's, Rafe, a have you met me? <laughs> he's a home He's a homebrew. Yeah, 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 yeah. Spielberg says he's a plant monster who's a million years old. There you go. Um, right. uh, I should also mention that I have recently purchased um, Funko's E.T. the board game. Funko has created a number of IPs into board game form. Uh, I do like movies. I do like board games. So, of course, I'm going to pick those up, mainly because I think it's fascinating discussing or even playing anything that a type tries to uh, maintain a level of uh, the spirit of a film in, in game form. Um, also, the E.T. board game was on sale. I got it really cheap. And it comes with <laughs> miniatures of kids on bikes. Um, sure. And I, I, I'm not ashamed to say that I bought this game specifically for those miniatures, but also, I mean, I, I will play it. Now that I've seen the movie, I'm certainly more likely to play it. All right, Drew, sticking with our normal movie discussion format, I am required to ask you the following question. Which kid are you of the kids depicted? Which one were you most like at their age? I'll tell you who I wasn't. I wasn't Elliot. Um, that kid has no survival instinct whatsoever. Um, <laughs> like, 
It's like, hey, there's something, potentially a, a coyote in the shed. You know what we should do? I should fall asleep in front of the shed. Oh, wait, it's in the cornfield. I should wander into the cornfield. Uh, oh, these police officers. I should wander. I mean, no, it's definitely not Elliot. I mean, uh, at the time that this was coming out, I was I was Gertie, you know, just kind of <laughs> <laughs> terrified, terrified by the majority of things. Um, no, I mean, ugh, I hate to say it, like, probably just one of the random biker guys at the end who were like mildly pretentious you know one of those guys is starting a fire um so yeah i don't there's there's i don't think there's any of this movie that really i feel fits that fits that bill um rafe i'm gonna ask this to you for the very last time which kid were you i probably was gertie (laughs) yeah as much as i i wanted to sit here and go i was elliot but you kind of bring up the fact that his uh, curiosity outweighs his sense of survival and common sense. And I definitely was not that type. I definitely would have been like, there's something out in the shed. I'm going to go hide. Uh, so, I'm going to no, burn I, that. I'm going to, I'm going to pull and attack the block. <laughs> I'm going to set those fireworks into that shed until that alien is dead. Um, yeah. You know, you get that wonderful little nod and attack the block where it's the, almost the exact same setup when they find the, the female alien from the beginning. It makes me realize something about Henry Thomas being typecast as the kid who has almost no survival instincts. If you think about the quest and you think about um, a film that we didn't discuss, uh, which is Cloak and Dagger. Cloak and um, Dagger, He yeah. just runs towards danger, doesn't he? Yep. Just, just <laughs> don't find an adult, kids. Just run towards the scare. <laughs> All right. Do you want to rate the movie? Are we going to, are we going to try wanna, and... I, I think we oh. should rate the movie. I See, I'm afraid of you ranking the movie because uh, you're gonna you're gonna kill our scale here. All right, <laughs> uh, we rank movies on uh, a double axis scale: how good of a movie they are, and how good of a kids on bikes movie they are. I, I'm just gonna flat out say I think this is a ten as far as how good of a movie it is. Uh, I, I think it's up there with the other movies I've given ten. Uh, Stand By Me and It Chapter 1. I think it's a masterpiece of a film. I think it's beautiful. I think it's brilliant. Uh, so I, 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 for me, it's a given. It's a foregone conclusion. It's a 10. So for you, Drew, who doesn't even give a movie a 10? Yours is a scale of 1 to 9, apparently. Uh, how good of a movie is E.T. the Extraterrestrial? Uh, uh, correction, sir. My scale is from 6.5 to 9. Because I haven't <laughs> done anything lower than a 6.5. And you have two films that are below that. Uh, this is a nine. Three. Three. <laughs> you have three. It's true. You have three. It's a nine. Um, I, I don't think it's a perfect film, but uh, I don't think I'd ever be able to give this a 10 over It Chapter One, Stand By Me, or Attack the Block. I, I Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it, it, it cannot have the success that it had. It cannot have, uh, without being just a, a masterpiece of a film. It is. It is. I mean, I, I arm twisted behind my back, maybe a 9.5. Um, but perfection is, is, uh, difficult to get. And listen, if you're worried about throwing the scale off, when we rank our kids on bikes films, um, from least to best next episode, I, we're not going to include ET on that. We can mention it, but like, yeah. As a kids on bikes movie, how good is this on a scale of one to 10? Uh, for me, a five. I think for all the reasons that we've discussed it. I mean, like, for me, Stand By Me, which basically is a, a, almost a near-perfect movie, I gave a five. Frog Dreaming, another film I just talked about, um, you know, The Quest, a, a five, because it it follows very close to many reasons. But like I said earlier, it's 
close to the beginning of what Kids on Bikes films will be. It's it just, it's right there. It's on that same suburban street. It just doesn't include kids as much as it, it probably needs to. Maybe it's even, no, I, I, yeah, I think a five works for me. How about you? I, I am also going to go with a five, which is uh, ironically also what I gave uh, Stan. I actually gave Frog Dreaming a four. You did. Um, I'm going to stay with it being a five. I, I mean, as you said, it's one kid primarily, except for the, the, the climactic scene. Uh, but I also don't feel like the location is that important. The fact that it is suburbia is important, but this is any suburbia. This isn't like there is nothing magical. There's nothing special about the location. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's suburbia within biking distance or telekinetic alien distance of a redwood forest. And so for me, it's somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, maybe uh, Anathema. I don't know. That's an inside joke to our game. Um, <laughs> All right, Drew. Yes. We are not counting this movie towards our draft, but I have to ask. Yeah. Given the choice, who would have joined your team from this film? I, I mean, I probably would have chosen Elliot, I think. Um, I think Elliot would make a really interesting... I don't have I don't have a character. I don't think any of us have a character that's as heart character as <laughs> as Elliot, with the exception of maybe Mikey. Like, no, I think Elliot the, is more heart than Mikey. Yeah. <laughs> um, and wouldn't you like to see uh, Elliot and Moses uh, interact with one another, um, especially breath. if they discover <laughs> discover an alien? So, um, <laughs> I would probably have have gotten Elliot. How about you? I would have picked Michael, actually, and it wasn't until watching this the movie this time that I realized just what a good older brother Michael is, because he is mm-hmm. antagonistic towards his younger brother until E.T. arrives, and then he realizes, like, he sees his brother in a different view at that mm-hmm. point, and there's just something about the way he tries to help with the, the escape for E.T. and the way he treats his mom when he's trying to show her, you know, why Elliot is sick and and that they found this. And he even echoes, like, what does Elliot say to him when he gets ready to show it to Michael? You know, make the, what is the the, the biggest promise that you can make? And he says the sure. same thing to his mom. And like, there's something about that character that really stuck out to me that like, wow, I've taken this character for granted before, but he's actually yeah. really well done. <laughs> yeah, there's that scene at the table where um, Elliot clearly upsets his mother and you can see Michael coming to the, you know, like Elliot's too young to truly appreciate what, how just biting his words are. Um because he doesn't feel like he's being seen or heard, and what he says to his mom is rough, and you could just see Michael. Go, what is wrong with you? Right. Yeah. yeah. I thought going into this um, before I, I rewatched the movie, I, I would have been like, "Oh, I'm going to draft Gertie 100. percent Let's let's." <laughs> it's like, nah. She's cute, but she's useless for a team. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Now, in honor of this movie and your. Uh, <laughs> horrible experience with it as a child you asked a question on social media along those same lines i did yeah well i mean i i knew that i was going into this disliking et is a part of who i am you know in the same way that like i'm the guy who doesn't like et and who likes zardoz and you know role-playing games and you know so i wanted to know and this is also kind of mildly inspired by like 
listeners like Graham and, and Sarah who in in various posts about movies they said oh yeah I, I saw the gate it terrified me I just wanted to know uh, so I asked on on various social media including my own what film terrified you uh, as a kid there's a, a film critic Elric Kane who refers to those moments as kinder trauma um, now I I've listed a bunch of films and there's a lot of similarities in in people's choices I mainly list films I think that were designed to be watched by kids I mm-hmm. think a kid watching a horror movie doesn't really count as much because I mean it's a, it's a scary movie it's designed to do that but sometimes especially kids film from the 80s uh, are, are a little horrific so people like Eric and Aaron and myself and yourself all said ET so that, that was pretty big um, Graham surprisingly said uh, scenes in the Goonies where we're first introduced to Sloth. Yeah. Uh, and I remember being really uh, shaken by that scene um, early on. Sarah and Lawrence at the gate. Uh, John and Rodney said Darby O'Gill and the little people. The yes. scene of the Banshee. Yes. Really horrifying. It's kind of that moment that's rotoscoped. Um, Cord said the scene in Willow where everyone's turned into pigs. And Cord hit on something that I think is really important. Why... Um, E.T. really terrifies me is it's not just the visuals, it's the auditory. E.T. screams. It's the screaming part that really gets me. It's that high-pitched animal-like scream in the same way that like, we get like pig screams in that Willow scene. So that one was was particularly scary. Uh, we got recommendations for Something Wicked This Way Comes, Watership Down, which should never have been shown to children. I don't care if it's a cartoon. Parents watch movies ahead of time yeah, but but no but legitimately the last time i watched watership down i was in my late 20s and i showed it to my girlfriend at the time and we both didn't sleep that night yeah it's yeah it, it's not just scary for kids that movie is it's true yeah. i have not watched this the the newer rendition of it because it's just don't no, need it I, I don't need it i don't need that in my life uh my friend daniel said black cauldron which yeah disney just I, that might be the darkest Disney animated film. I haven't um, seen it. Oh. Is it darker oh, than right. Hunchback of Notre Dame? I haven't seen it. I'll ah, tell you what. Ah. Rafe, <laughs> I'll watch Hunchback if you'll watch Black Cauldron and we can discuss it. We'll do a we'll do a double bill. Sure, sure. Okay. <laughs> also horrifying to me and Kier and Lily, uh, Gremlins. Oh, yeah. Um, definitely a horror film that was marketed towards children. Probably didn't need to be. Another children's film, quite scary. Quite a few people said the scene in Pee-wee's Big Adventure where Large Marge kind of goes... Yep. Bleh. Totally get that. Um, totally get that. Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Um, it's a kind of a un- unnerving film, but any film that um, uh, Angela Lansbury beats up Nazis is, works for me. Um <laughs> Oh my God, my friend Christopher said Carol Channing, specifically Carol Channing from 1985's Alice in Wonderland. Now, do you know um, why that is? Uh, it's the the transformation and there the, you go. The, it's yeah. got that that specific. I love that version of of uh, Alice in Wonderland, but that specifically has a transformation into a, a, a you, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and 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 she's talking, and her voice extends yeah. while she's doing that. <sighs> Uh, finally, my friend Sam said, um, Superman 3, uh, that definitely one of those scenes I used to watch behind my uh, w- hands in front of my eyes where the woman falls in front of the supercomputer and is turned into the uh, cyborg because uh, she's, you know, it's, yeah. D- I haven't seen <laughs> Superman 3. <laughs> <gasps> what? Oh, my goodness. Oh, 
you are missing out on one of the great kinder trauma films of the 80s. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, there's no team up like uh, Richard Pryor and Superman. I mean, so I do want to tackle the Gremlins uh, one. Yes, real please. Quick. Let's do that. You do realize that that is one of two movies that were responsible for the PG-13 rating being created. Right. And the other one, I believe, was um, Temple of Doom, right? Correct. So Steven Spielberg yeah. is responsible for the PG-13 rating. <laughs> yeah. And the first film to actually receive a PG-13 rating was Red Dawn, if yes. I'm not mistaken. I think I believe a that's film true. that we might be discussing here in a few minutes. Oh, really? Okay. Maybe. Why would we be discussing it here in a few minutes, Drew? Uh, because, Rafe, we've come to the end. We had 12 films. We had a choice of all these lists of movies to discuss, and, and we ended up going with the 12 that we did. I'm quite happy with the 12 that we did, but there are some really good films that we didn't discuss. And I think maybe just now might be the time. I don't know the future. Man, I don't got the crystal ball. I don't know if we're coming back to Kids on Bikes and doing a season two of Kids on Bikes. I, I certainly would be willing to maybe, but... Um, it's, you know, we need to move on, Drew. When we move into we new do. territory, we close the door behind us. We can close the door gently and lovingly and appreciate what we had, but we close the door behind us. Or like Carrie from Super 8, we just burn it to the ground. <laughs> um, so let's just briefly, I know that we don't want to spend a, a huge amount of time on this. Let's just take a, a moment and maybe do like three or four movies each. Um, films that we definitely had on our list and that we didn't discuss and maybe why we didn't discuss it and why it's probably worth taking a look. Okay. Do you want to go first? Uh, why don't you go first? Okay. I, I, I've been talking a lot. <laughs> I yeah, mean, you've been talking sure. a lot too. It's about 50-50, but still. <laughs> I, I think the most obvious film that we have left off of our, our first 12 was Monster Squad because I think Monster Squad, without fail is a kids on bikes film it's a the setup for it if you're not familiar from 1987's uh monster squad written by shane black um is that the universal monsters move into a small suburban neighborhood and are going to take over the world and a group of kids who meet in a uh tree house and discuss horror movies are the only ones who are going to take this threat seriously. And so they, you know, they decide to do their homework, figure out what monsters are available. They argue about the tactics about handling these monsters. They build anti-monster weapons from household objects uh, and take on Dracula, the Wolfman, the Gill Man, uh, Frankenstein's monster. And um, I'm missing one, aren't I? And the mummy. And Mummy stole my yeah. Twinkie. I, yeah. I have only seen the movie one time. Somebody picked it from my other podcast, so I watched it, and then they disappeared before we actually recorded an episode. Um, and you're right. It is a Kids on Bikes movie, but it also uh, is even more guilty of some of the things that we have criticized Kids on Bikes mm -hmm. movies for being. Uh, and so I, I didn't pick it because I didn't feel like we needed it. Right. Once we had Goonies, and once, especially once we had it, chapter one yeah i mean i i think i probably would have rated it very high as a kids on bikes movie and i would have rated it very low as a the quality of the film itself i mean you know one of the characters is just simply known as fat kid right. um the f slur is is passed around a lot and you know it's we have discussed this about you know the 80s and and the mistakes they made but 
I think both of us agreed, and I think maybe John kind of mentioned this too in our Super 8 episode. There are other films that do what it did. Um, right. And so, I, I mean, if, I feel like in many ways, um, Vampires versus the Bronx is is very similar to it. Um, it, it definitely plays a, a kind of a better homage to it than than what we were getting. So, And that's why I didn't go with it. So. Yeah. Uh, one that almost made my list a couple of times and, and possibly would have if I had had the extra time to sit down and watch it before pitching it for the show is uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes, which mm-hmm. oddly just came up in conversation again today outside of this. So did Zardoz, by the way. Uh, but I, so I, I definitely uh, need to watch it, but I didn't remember it well enough to feel comfortable throwing it as a kids on bikes pick. Um, even though it, it, it's on many, many kids on bikes m- movie lists out there. Uh, so mostly it didn't get picked by me because of a lack of familiarity with it. It's not the only movie on my short list that, that kind of fell trapped to that. Um, which is funny because there are at least two of my t- picks were movies I picked blind because kid who would be King I had not seen. And um, The Gate, I had not seen prior to picking. But I felt more confident in those films as Kids on Bikes movies than something like Something Wicked This Way Comes. I did watch Something Wicked This Way Comes for the first time in like 30-something years uh, in preparation for it as, as a possible choice. Is it a Kids on Bikes film? It is one of those Kids on Bikes films similar to uh, Frog Dreaming and Stand By Me, where it's so close to it that you could consider it, but you could probably find really good reasons to argue against it. The first being that there are only two kid protagonists in the film, and one of them sort of disappears towards the end. So it has the perfect setup, which is a creepy circus comes to town. Um and, you know, the the adults don't notice it and the kids do. And the kids have to find their way. And it's it's really menacing. It's I, I highly recommend it. It's a deeply disturbing um, film. Anything based off of the great Ray Bradbury's writing. It's good. It just misses by just a couple <laughs> of things. The way we define, the way you and I want to have a conversation about kids on bikes that we can adjust to a role-playing game, it misses the mark slightly. Is it a kids on bikes film? Yes. It misses a target that didn't exist when it was made. <laughs> Correct. Yes. I, we can't hold it by our own standards at that point in time, right? But but yeah. All right. Give me another one, Drew. Okay. Uh, you have not seen this film. Um, this is from 1985. This is called Go for Break. This is a Japanese film. It is a near-perfect kids-on-bikes movie. Uh, this is something that I learned about from listening to a podcast of obscure <laughs> films, the, the PCP, the Pure Cinema Podcast. And... I found just the worst copy on YouTube. It was horrifyingly bad. Um, the setup is this. There are no adults present in this movie. There is a school of very smart... Uh, it's all, all it's all in Japanese, subtitled. And that was one of the things I really wanted to do is find a film that wasn't, um, you know, in, in English. I would have loved to have gotten a foreign film in there. There's a school that has a problem twice a year. This gang, biker gang comes to school and just beats up all the kids and demands money. If they don't pay the money, they beat them up. And if they give them the money, they still beat them up. And so that's the f- the first act of the film. We get to see how bad this is. They don't know what to do. They decide to, um, in, in, a, in a true seven samurai-like fashion, hire seven specialists to help them defeat these kids. And it's seven women, young girls, young teenage girls. One's an expert in wrestling. And not like 
judo, like actually like WWE style wrestling. One of them's a marksman. One of them's a gadget kid. They all have these perfect kids on bikes tropes. And they, in the first act, they help to defeat the kids. And in the third act, they help to defeat them a second time. And it's in the first and third act, perfect 10 kids on bikes film. The problem is the middle act is a hardcore violence pink film that involves sexual assault of the worst possible kind. And it it comes out of nowhere, and it's totally, completely different from the rest of the film. In the first and third acts, there is no permanent damage in the violence. Like, everything is like, it's turning things like hoses and ping pong balls and tennis guns and smoke machines to defeat your enemies. But the violence towards women in the second act is so horrific I almost turned it off. And then it goes back to being kid-friendly. That's weird. it's, It's so weird. It makes no sense. And it, I, I just didn't want to discuss it on the podcast. But for the first and third acts, amazing. Would have been in the highest echelons of Kids on Bike stuff. And uh, that's Go for Break. Now, technically, this, the, the, I think it's called Go for Broke. Um, but they only call it Go for Break in the film. And um, even though the subtitles say Go for Broke. Uh, and I have seen it for both Go for Break and Go for Broke. So if you are looking for it on YouTube, really... Be warned, adults, don't let your kids watch this. Well, my my second one is a little more child-friendly than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and again, it was one of two that kind of fall into the same category that I almost picked uh, because I really – they didn't fit our definition of kids on bikes. But I really wanted to see how Drew would gamify it, and that <laughs> is uh, Disney's Flight of the Navigator because it's a single kid. He's not on a bike uh, outside of the beginning of the movie. I'm not even sure if he's on a bike in the beginning of the movie, but I think he is. It's certainly not an important location because he's all over the globe. Uh, Yeah. But I wanted to see how he would gamify it, but that wasn't enough when there were other – I almost kind of picked the Explorers because it kind of – touching on similar items, at least there it's kids. But I still didn't feel like it met our definition well enough to proceed with an episode on it. I agree. And, and Explorers was one that I went back and forth on. It just wasn't enough kids on bikes. Like the first act, sec, first and second act are very kids on bikes. The third act, when they get into space, is more teens in space. Um, I, I I wanted to talk about You and I are going to talk about that on something at some point in time. It's, I hope it's so, already been I love, decided. I love that yeah. movie so much. But yeah, Flight just, of the Navigator. I, and now I kind of wish we had. You just mentioned uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure a little while ago. Rest in peace, Paul Rubens. And of course, he voices the uh, the ship in Flight of the Navigator. So Yeah. Those are two that you almost didn't. I, I guess we could. You yeah. want to count that as the one or do you want to choose something else? Well, I wanted to go with Flight of the Navigator as my one. Yeah. But I yeah. threw a second one in there. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. I, yeah, I probably could have I gamified that one. Um, but you're right. I think the main problem with that one is that um, as a kid, I was obsessed with that film. And I knew that you could buy movie props. And one day, uh, I remember reading the articles on, on just seeing all the different props. And I was like, one day I'm going to own the little creature that he, he holds on his finger that holds oh, like a little... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'm still... If I ever see that up for auction, I can afford it. I'm buying it. So. <laughs> All right. Let's let's uh, let's do one more round, I think. Oh, okay. Oh, I have... Mm, All right. Let's do two more rounds. We'll do two more rounds. Okay. All right. So 
I almost went. I was 100% sure I was going with Ghostbusters Afterlife from 2021 because the first two acts of it is 100% kids on bikes. It was a good... I mean, it wants to be Stranger Things. Um, It has a really good cast of characters, so I think would have been super fun to trope, would have been super fun to have uh, on a team. Um, And the third act takes away some of their agency... And I don't really want to spoil the movie, but it's... Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, so please don't. Oh my goodness, Rafe, there's a kid on there called Podcast. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's one of those things where I was kind of hoping you would choose to do it because I really wanted to... Like, I knew the kid I wanted for my team. Like, the way my team was headed, I was like, oh no, I, I want this kid... And there's no way that you're not taking this kid if I suggest it. Um, I, I, so I won't spoil it for you, but it's it's definitely worth watching. And I really hope you watch it sooner rather than later so we can have a conversation about it in the context of this game and how you would have handled it. I think okay. it would have been fine. It's certainly no more egregious than um, Stand By Me or Frog Dreaming as far as, you know, like, it's so close and kind of falls away. Um, but that that's certainly one that I think is worth watching and it's it's interesting to think of it as a kids on bikes film all right uh well funny you should mention it (laughs) because i almost decided to throw a huge curveball at you and go ahead and pick stranger things as one of our picks (laughs) Uh, especially because last summer i rewatched the entire series once my son got into it and i was like I've seen it all fresh in my mind. I'm going to go ahead and pick it and see how Drew reacts. And then I just went, yeah, no. Because we, we had talked at one point about doing a special Stranger Things-ish episode. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to mess with the formula. I will leave it. Uh, but yeah, uh, the, uh, Stranger Things came so close to getting picked a couple of times where I was just like, nope. But last summer, also remember, we kind of had a drought uh, where we weren't recording. <laughs> right, right, so. it's true. And, and I'll tell you, I would have been fine with that, um, with the exception of of one thing. In that Stranger Things story isn't done. Right. Um, we got four seasons. We know we got a five, a fifth season that's coming out. They've made actually, I think just today they've made an announcement about what the fifth season is going to be about. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody who hasn't read that article. I missed it. Um, but I I don't like discussing any project that isn't complete. That's um, fair. It's like it's like it's like watching the first two acts of a movie and then not watching the third and wanting to discuss it it just doesn't work it's not a it's not a great conversation listen if you had done maybe how about tell you what fifth season comes out if we ever decide to do a patreon or maybe just a special episode we'll do a stranger things episode if we can then balance that with a gravity falls episode because that is also a kids on bikes show oh yeah um and I think it, both of them, to like look at the, the comparison of the two, I think would work really well. All right, one more. I, I do want to mention that at one point in time, before we fully grasped what we were going to do with our podcast, we were discussing bringing on a lot more guests. It was going to be maybe you and I talking just ourselves and then an episode with a guest. And one of our guests was going to be the artist who had worked on the Kids on Bikes books. And she specifically wanted to talk about the faculty. Yeah, um, I remember I, that. I think that would be really good. And I think it's something worth exploring. It's not the one I'm picking. I'm just saying I wanted to mention that because it was something that that we were going to do. Then the last one I want to talk about was Rim of the World. It's either that or the Babysitter's Club from 1995. But I think Babysitter's Club uh, is – was that what you were going to do? Were you going to do Rim of the World? 
I was gonna. I was potentially. I had. Yeah. I mean, Room of the World is is uh, all right. A then you do Room of the World. I'm gonna do the Babysitters Club. Um, 1995. We got two kids on bikes movies that really focused on girls. Uh, and of course, we of the two of them, I chose Now and Then. Very glad that I did because I haven't yes. watched the Babysitters Club in a really long time. And it's one of those films where it was on and I saw it, but I can't say that I actually sat down and watched it and paid any kind of real attention to it. And these are this is a movie based off of the Anne Martin series of books, and I think a professional ba- the adventures of professional babysitters is just as valid a, a form of kids on bikes because it's it is about a um, a group that is working within their own neighborhood and they've got their problems and it's it's you know it's not the end of the world there's not monsters involved in the same way that um, kind of now and then. It has its horrors, um, but it's very. It feels almost more mundane than almost anything else that we saw. And I think it, it would have been interesting to discuss. But I also feel like now and then is probably the better film, and sure. it certainly has more of an adventure quality to it. And I gotta say, honest to goodness, I am so proud of that episode of ours. Um, I feel like we we really. I don't want to say milked it for everything had but i really do feel like we gamified the heck out of um now oh, yeah. and then um so i just want to draw attention to the babysitters club because i think i think a lot of people would be really interested um to have seen that it just you know it's it's too similar so, okay there we go well then i will talk about rim of the world uh which i had not seen uh, if i remember correctly it's a netflix movie mm-hmm. Uh, I had not seen it until Drew brought it to my attention. This is before we started talking about doing this podcast, if I remember correctly, but only a few months before, uh, I think. And Drew and I kind of both came to the same conclusion about this movie, which was, who is this a movie for? (laughs) Like, I love the idea about it being, you know, kids uh, having to endure an alien invasion and trying to help save the world and stuff, but it's not really made for... For kids, even though its protagonists are kids, it's got some very mature stuff in there, and that just kind of left us going, "Who is what? What is this?" And so I felt like that alone, and the fact that also, again, you don't have a specific location. You do at the beginning, the first, the first right third uh, of the movie, but but um, I, I just felt like it didn't fit our definition well enough because it is a movie, and it's from McG, so it's not com- incredibly surprising. Um, right, but yeah. uh, um, it, it it is a movie that doesn't quite know what it's trying to do. Yeah, and I, you know, the the ugly part of Vampires vs. the Bronx reminded me of Rim of the World. That you know that final scene where the yeah. profanity level and the violence level suddenly ramps at the end, where like if we don't use it now, when do we do it? Um, and again, it's a Netflix film. Uh, it was kind of interesting. Uh, one of the things that we didn't have that I think is really important for the kids on bikes genre is we didn't have a camp episode. We didn't have anything that takes place where the kids are being sent away from home. So either parents oh, just aren't there, um, but almost always it's them at home. There's a there's a 1994 film called Camp Nowhere where all the kids create a fake camp. The parents want to send them to different types of camps. All the kids want to stay together, so they create a fake camp that they all get sent to. Uh, and it, the whole point of it is, can we get, can we trick our parents? And that sort of falls into it, but it's more of a kid venture summer vacation right. type of film. Um, but Rim of the World really promised a kid's camp. It's got a really good, diverse cast. The kid actors were really good. I liked it. Would have been great drafts. There's three or four really yeah. good draft characters in that film. And it becomes more of a road trip film. Um, yeah. 
as they cross the country and and you know like it gets weirdly violent and stuff but um you know it could be worth coming back to and looking at at a later date if we ever wanted to um yeah yeah i'm looking at the rest of this list there's like 10 other movies worth talking about but we've we've gone on for quite a bit unless you want there's something you want to add to it no, 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 no. I think I think that's it. I think I think we're good. Well, remember, we're closing things, Drew. We're bringing right. the season to a close. Right, right, so if right. we just keep going on and on, all we're doing is prolonging the inevitable, which is our next episode, which will be our final Kids on Bikes season episode, where we will rank the movies in uh, order of best to worst from our own perspectives, uh, both as films and as Kids on Bikes movies. Uh, we will complete our drafts the part that drew is most excited about have you figured out who's on the chopping block yet drew or are you just prolonging the inevitable (laughs) i uh, once again i have mentioned the board um the board is still up i'm looking at it now i i'm not taking pictures of the board i will probably take pictures of the board post the actual draft uh i have four characters i know for sure that i want to keep and that is it that's it. I have like there's there's a couple of characters from your team that depending on who you let go will change the rest of the draft. And I can't make any kind of real predictions until I know whether or not I can get access to them. Uh, so there's that. Um, has it kept me up at night? Yes. Has it kept me up as night as much as E.T. did when I was a child? No. So at least I've got that going on for us um and in addition to um our draft which i'm very excited about and our list which i'm excited about we are going to let people know the genre that we're going to be discussing for season two for so for those of you who are excited about us moving on to something else there you go you will find out where we are going in our next episode until then, you can find this podcast on all podcatchers. You can email us at the Never Say Die Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on our Facebook group uh, at Never Say Die Cast. We are still on the social media platform formerly known as Twitter at Never Say Die Cast. Uh, I have to say thanks to Chris Talent for our full throttle theme song and Megan Daly for our show's eye catching artwork. Agreed. Agreed. If you like what you've heard, why not leave us a five-star review at one of those podcatchers? It helps others find the show. It makes us feel loved. It makes Drew feel wanted. It strokes his ego. And remember, even if you just basically outline season two of the Kids on Bike season in your closing episode, never say die. Die.